0: If you're a first time guest, get you up to speed real quickly on the teaching series that we're right in the middle of, it's called You Asked For It. Several weeks ago, we emailed everybody in our church database, hey, what do you all want to talk about? Very dangerous thing, didn't know how that would turn out. Obviously, tons of questions, topics submitted about God, faith, culture, relationships, sifted through all of those, landed on six weeks of content, tried to combine some of those questions. Uh, some of those areas we'll, we'll focus on in the near future and next year as well. But just to get you up to speed, in case you want to catch a, uh, one of these messages on our uh, Facebook page or on the website, week one, we asked the question How can I know God's will for my life? How can I discern if I'm moving in the direction that God wants me to move in my life? Pretty significant question that we probably asked multiple times throughout our life. Second week, two weeks ago, we, we asked the question What's the significance of sin? Is sin really that big a deal? Oftentimes, right, we can be soft on sin, but we have to realize that the consequence of sin is death. Fortunately, we have a God who brought Jesus into this world to solve that sin problem for us. We have a lot to be grateful for. Last week, we looked at the area of spiritual warfare. What's the reality of spiritual warfare? Pretty scary thing that something uh, like an invisible war can be happening around us. We better be aware of that. Pay attention to how we can fight. So you think about those three questions all have to do with, uh, with God, the nature of God, and, and what God wants for our lives, and how we can be in tune with the ways of God. So after all of that, here we are week four, and we're going to navigate a, a pretty significant cu- uh, question that maybe should be asked at the front end of all of these other conversations, and that's simply this, who's God? <laughs> who exactly is God anyway? We better have that right so that we can properly navigate all areas of life and have a proper understanding of who he really is. So let me pray for us, we'll get into it. God, we thank you for uh, just the opportunity to open up your word that is our guide that provides clarity and direction. And God, we show up today, hopefully all of us, not just wanting to gain information about you, but wanting to know you more. We thank you that you love us so much you wanna be in relationship with us. I pray that as we learn more, we also draw closer to you. We thank you for making that a possibility today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the questions that someone asked was this, why would God create us if he doesn't actually need us? Right? So this may be a question. You're like, oh, okay, I never really had that, that question, but now that you brought it up, yeah, I have the same question, right? And think about that. There's a God who uh, can do whatever he wants and he decides to create a world and to create us, why would and he doesn't need to do that? Somebody else asked it this way, why would he create us if he knew we would constantly kind of go off the rails? We would essentially let him down. Right? There was no sin in the world, and well, here we are bringing sin into his perfect world. And if he's all-knowing, he knows what's going to happen, um, when, why are we here? <laughs> if we continue to maybe even you know, disappoint him, maybe we have that perspective of God. Well, we know, we can know the answer to those questions when we know the answer to the question, who is God? So we need to step back, right? Those are some of those questions, right? We'll never find a proper answer for. We'll kind of be spinning like, I can't figure out the ways of God. So let's step back. Like, Who is God in the first place? Well, here's what you need to know. There's nothing more important than knowing God. There's nothing more important than knowing God. A.W. Tozer several years ago said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It dictates everything what we're going to do with our lives that aren't supposed to be our lives, how we're going to live our lives, the direction that we go, the lens in which we look through determines everything, how we perceive God. So who is God? First of all, we need to know he is not whoever you want him to be. <laughs> we live in a day and age where we're like, okay, just this generalized, ambiguous God, right, whether you know, Hindus, Islam, uh, we all use the same word for this higher power. Uh, it's just the same God across the board. Uh, it's not. And it's important that we know that it 's not uh, number two there's some people might believe uh, you know the new age philosophy well there's a power within you right or maybe even you know some uh, religious you know, beliefs are you can even become your own God. no you can't we'll clarify that don 't need a whole message for that truth um, but there's no power within you that comes from you, you know, being in tune with this this inner being you know, become your own God, right It can get really weird really fast. Right, so this, the, the name God does not encapsulate, uh, you know, unfortunately, all of the gods that are among us today, that are worshipped upon. So we need to know who is the, the true God. The true God is the Alpha and the Omega, meaning he is the beginning and he is the end. And we're not it. None of us are it, right? We weren't here in the beginning, right? We'll be with God eternally only because of the true God himself. But let's begin with the God who was in the beginning. Think about the nature of the beginning of the world. None of us were there for that. What kind of God, though, chooses to create a world? He can do anything. He creates the world that we live in today. He chooses to create us, create humanity. What purpose does that serve? If he could literally do anything and that's his choice, knowing all that is to come? Interesting insight in the New Testament from Jesus himself who is the son of God. John chapter 17, verse 24. Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. It's interesting, isn't it? Number one, he calls him Father, and he says, you loved me before the creation of the world. Before the world came to be, who was God? God was a father. He was a father. So important to understand. Before he was creator God, God was father, before the creation of the world, you have a father loving his son. What a beautiful picture. So we think of the beginning of something, somebody created that, and so we think, okay, God is first and foremost creator. No, God is first and foremost father. Because you and I are here today, we know that God obviously created us, right? He gave us existence, which is not an essential thing for him to do. He did not have to do that. But because he is first and foremost a father, it's a very characteristic thing for him to do. What do the best fathers do? They love. The best, best fathers love. God not only loves you, he himself is love. He's the fullness of the definition of love. So to choose to create someone he loves is one of the most natural things he could do. So you were created, right? If you're a first-time guest, never read your Bible, you know, not sure about God, you were created because the very nature of God is love. He desires a relationship with you. And this is why, this is so interesting, this is why the command to love your neighbor is second only to loving God. Think about this practically. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, why? Because God is love. That's kind of a scary scripture, isn't it? I mean, it, you know, I'm thinking about this purely practically, and the question that popped in my mind is, can a mean person go to heaven, Right? Think about that question. Somebody who's literally, like, we're all mean, right? We make mistakes, you know, every now and then, right? We know that what's right and wrong. But someone who's maybe mean just every day, right? That's just who they are. Is there a disconnect if they say that they also know God or love God? The best way to know whether or not we truly understand the love of God is by how well we love the one next to us. It's a very tangible measurement. Right, because we, we enter into a conversation like this. Okay, who is God? Do I properly know God? What is the evidence of this? I mean, it seems like a, kind of a dense kind of cerebral processing. The upside is it's very easy to measure. What does my life look like when I'm interacting with other people? It's not about having the fullness of understanding of, of the nature of God because he is God. It's living in such a way that reflects that I'm in tune, I'm connected with the living God. who wants to change my heart. So God did not choose to create because of his power. Like, hey, look what I've done. Isn't it amazing? I'm God. He did not primarily choose to create the world and us because of his power, but because of his love. Now, it's also interesting we think about who God is and how he began. Literally, before the world was created, God was part of a community. He was part of a community, not primarily of power, but of joy and love. Genesis 1:26, first book of the Bible, says, let us... Make man in our image. You read that for the first time, you're like, who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? I thought there's just kind of singular God. God's up there now. Who, who's he hanging out with? Now, the rest of this conversation, you know, today is where we kind of, it's going to get a little dense, right? And you know, every now and then we have one of those messages where it's easy to check out. Giving you a heads up, right? I know sometimes we come to church, all right, just want something lighthearted, encouraging, right? We'll, you know, lift up and we have those. This is one where we got to lean in, process, um, and, and talk about something very significant um, that if we don't have a proper understanding, we're going to miss the, the reality of all, the, all of the, who God is. So who is us? <laughs> Who's us? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit also known as the Trinity. Grew up up in church, done Bible studies, you're very familiar with this word, the Trinity. What's interesting about the word Trinity is it's not in scripture anywhere, but it's the, the doctrine, the proper understanding of what the Trinity means is essential. It's foundational to our Christian beliefs. So where'd that word Trinity come from? Well, the early church, as they're reading scripture and hearing about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it was their way of trying to properly understand the relationship of those three together. And so they came up with the word Trinity. Now, again, although the name of God is used to describe a plethora of kind of ambiguous general gods people choose to believe in, there is only one God, and we better know who he is. So here we go. One God, what is the Trinity? One God, three persons. All right. This is that part where you're like, okay, this is getting a little, right, we're going in, we got to lean in, process The Trinity refers to one God and three persons. Now, as soon as I say that person, if you're like me, that's kind of distracting, because when I think of person, I think of one of us, I think of a human. Here's why, you know, if you get into a deep study of this, the word persons is used, is because it's not in the sense that you and I are separate entities or individuals, but in the sense that you could refer to, you could use the pronouns you or I. So God refers to himself, right, I am the Lord your God. And we refer to him as you. That's why the word "persons" uh, is used so often in this context, which is important. Because we're going to keep using that word. One God, three persons. Now, these three persons are not three parts of God, right? We have one part Father, one part Son, one part Holy Spirit. As if you'd like, you know the visual of uh, a pie that you would cut into three pieces. It's not like that. I would love to have that kind of pie, especially if it's pumpkin. Which is a humongous piece would be great. But for the sake of that visual, that's not, not what we mean. There's not three parts of God. All right, here we are going to keep going. God has one essence or one being, but he's made up of three persons, right? One God, three persons. He has one essence, one being. One author put it this way. God is one what, but three whose. It's all making sense, right? It's very clear, right? Stick with me. The Trinity means... Trinity means there's one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not talking about a God who has three roles, right? As we clarify, we're also going to dig deeper, make, make it a little more complicated. We're not talking about a God who has three roles. For me, personally, I have three roles. Primarily, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and I'm a pastor. Those are descriptions of the same person. Well, God is not one person who plays three different roles, God is both one and three. For example, we need examples. The Father sent the Son into the world. Therefore, he cannot be the same person as the Son. In the same way, after the Son, Jesus ascended to be with his Father. He sent the Holy Spirit into the world. This is an amazing reality, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God, the Father, sends Jesus to be with us. Jesus is... He dies a death on the cross for our sins. Talked about that a couple weeks ago. He's raised from the the dead. He conquers death itself, and then he takes off. Someone who conquered death, he's perfect, he's sinless. We're we're in that moment. We even think about it now. Jesus, you probably should stick around. But then he says, you will do greater things than even I. How? Because when I ascend, I'm going to leave my spirit to live, to indwell within you. So God is fully God, right? Nobody argues that, yeah, he's God. God is fully God. Jesus, the Son, is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. So we must not think of God in parts. If we approach God based on our kind of preferred, pre- preferred uh, perspective for the day, we have an incomplete view of God, right? We don't have the option of going to mom when dad says no. Think about that practically. Oh, oh mom said I couldn't do that. Well, dad, he's softer. I'm going to go with him. Like, oh, man, I hear God is a judge, so um, I'm I'm just going to approach the Holy Spirit. God, if you could excuse us for a second, Holy Spirit and I are are looking into doing something. I need some guidance, some help. I hear that he's good, maybe even better than you at that. But, you know, if I'm praying for my enemy, that I kind of want to remain my enemy, that I'm going, God, to the judge. God, hey, all right, I'm back to you because here's how I want the rest of my life. right, we can't categorize or compartmentalize or silo off or separate the Trinity, I know this is this is complicated, but practically God is God. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all God. Matthew 28, 19 kind of brings this all together. One God, three persons. This is also the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, which is the most important thing that we celebrate here at First Church, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, right? There's a reason why we say that. It's not a redundancy. And so at Union Campus, when you see a baptism, Burlington Campus, you see a baptism, right? Some of the, the primary words that are said, I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, because what we're witnessing is this culmination, this comprehensive reality of a new identity, and when we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, it's a proclamation of that new identity. We're announcing our identity in Christ and claiming who we are in Him. In that moment, right, we belong to the Father. God has made a way through His Son Jesus Christ. He's adopted us as children, and we're saved through His Son Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say in Scripture? "No one comes to the Father except through me." And then we experience the indwelling of the Spirit. <laughs> Because Jesus left so that we could have the spirit living within us. And so we have God walking with us, his presence in us. Why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Right, we say a prayer, right, and we have to figure out a way to end. Is it just kind of something that you know, we culturally came up with uh, to let the, you know, our neighbor know if we're in a group prayer, I'm done? Right? As opposed to just saying, I'm done. Should we, should we say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you go. You're next, right? Why do we pray in the name of Jesus? this is where we have to stop because prayer can become commonplace we kind of you know can go through the motions but you think about the opportunity that we have to approach god of the universe we're praying in jesus name because it's only through his work his authority we're praying with christ's authority not our entitlement who are we to think i can just start talking to god we take that for granted don't we Even over the years, I've heard, you know, maybe some of the younger generation can get a little casual about it and, you know, go through stretches of time, you know, where they're kind of influenced maybe by their peers and they'll start their prayers with, hey, God, that sounds nice, but it's like, it always kind of bothered me a little bit. It's not that big a deal, but it bothers me. It's like, man, this is God, right? It's not like, hey, God, you know, what's up? We're hanging out, you know? It's like, this is the God of the universe. And how can we even, how can he even receive our words and we, we can hear from him? It's only through the person of Jesus and his authority. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we're choosing to come to God humbly, acknowledging the only reason we can come to the Father is through Jesus. Now, for the sake of breaking up this dense uh, message here, uh, a little bit of an illustration. Think about uh, a few years from now if my son, Levi, decides to have a birthday party at our house, right? And it's our house, right? It's not, you know, he's, we allow him to live, live there, but it, you know, it's Emily and, I, and I's house, and um, he, he invites 10 friends over. And let's say I'm standing at the door when all those friends come over for the party, and I know the first nine kids that he's invited over, right? Like, oh, hey, good to see you. You know, I recognize them, know their name. But then the 10th kid comes that he's apparently invited, but I've never met. Well, I'm curious. This is the response. Because I'm like, oh, who are you? You know, just a you know, party crasher? You know, just bouncing around? Like, I have some questions. And the, what he says back to me will determine whether or not I let him in. If he says, your son... Levi invited me to his party at your house. That's all he needs to say. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, you're, you're, you're friends with, with my son Levi. Come on into my house. Right? He's humbly coming, understanding that the only reason he can come into the house is because of his relationship with my son Levi. To come to the Father through the Son is to come humbly. We're acknowledging the privilege of being able to come to him at all. Jesus our uh, our mediator essentially. Why wouldn't we, every time we pray, recognize why our prayers are even heard? It's an unbelievable thing, isn't it? we can speak to the God of the universe and He hears us. Some of many of us that grew up in the church, Sunday school class, and you know, kids and teachers probably still do this. Uh, when it's time for prayer, right, typically say every every head bowed, every eye closed, right? And none of us ever peeked, right? At any point, right, when we you know, when we did that the, the, the prayer time. Now that's not just something to eliminate distraction, that probably helps having your eyes closed, but it's primarily a posture, right, my head is bowed, we're getting ready to interact with, to talk with God the Father, this is unbelievable, isn't it? And understanding that when we approach him, it's absolute privilege because of all that has happened, all that he has done to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. So praying in Jesus' name, Amen. It's far from a throwaway phrase or pat saying to just let people know you're done. Now, let's take it to the next level. We're talking about the Trinity. As we are praying, we're also always cognizant of the Spirit's work in our transformation. This is where sometimes we, we still have no idea the power that lives within us. Notice Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And pray... In the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. That's good news, right? Okay, I'm praying. I'm de- recognizing my dependence on the spirit, God living within me. I'm bringing all my prayers and requests. Now, hopefully we're all on the same page here in, uh, in, in understanding that prayer is intimidating. If you're a first-time guest or you're new, new to faith and right, you're around other people and you're like, oh, wow, they're really good at praying. Nobody's technically good at praying. Some people might be more confident in praying, but it's an intimidating thing. Why? Because oftentimes we instinctively think, how? I don't know how to pray. I can't pray out loud because I don't know how. And we miss the primary of the who. And ultimately, what's at stake in that moment? So as we pray, we're intimidated. We understand that technically we're all bad at praying, but here's the good news. When we make space, we create time to simply be with God. God knows your heart. And the Spirit essentially translates your heart and your thoughts into prayer. That's your actual prayer. Your, your heart ever been kind of a, in, a, in a negative place or a bitter place, but you pray really spiritual, positive words? Your actual prayer isn't your words, right? It's your, the state of your heart. The problem with prayer sometimes is when we reduce that time to merely words. Again, one of the reasons why prayer is often intimidating. Like, oh, man, I can't pray for 20 minutes. What would I say? But we're missing A significant part of prayer if we reduce it to merely words. If prayer is merely words, we miss out on the opportunity to seek God for God. Oftentimes our words are about what we're asking for, right? And he says that's part of prayer. But we miss out often on the opportunity to seek God for God. To seek him so that we can know him more. This is the work of the Spirit. This is the beautiful reality, and it's so beautiful that we can't put any tangible measurements on it. Like I spent this time in prayer, and now look at where I am. Look at how much more I know God, but here's what we read in Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter two, verses nine through 11. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His spirit. Here we go. The spirit searches all things even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, this is amazing, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. This is very interesting. Upon choosing Christ as our Savior, God gives his followers the Holy Spirit. Why? So that they may know him better. And so if you have an active prayer life, oftentimes, right, based on personal experience, at the end of each individual prayer time, you can't then turn over to maybe a prayer journal and tangibly write down, because of that specific prayer time I just entered into, this is now the outcome. Wow, look at how much I'm growing. But over time, this is the nature of the spirit within us, right, the process of what we call sanctification, God making us more like him, right, being holy as as he is holy, right, you can't put tangible moments or measurements on that, but as we surrender our lives, daily dependent on the spirit he does a work in us and over time we grow to know him more i mean that's just unbelievable no one knows the thoughts of god except the spirit of god better not miss out on the spirit of god john 16 13 but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth not going to get there on our own only the spirit of god knows the fullness of god only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of God. Therefore, the Spirit is essential if we are true, to truly know God. And my hope, my prayer for us is that we will daily be desperate for the Spirit. We'll daily be desperate for the Spirit who is our guide. So again, all that the Father has, he gives to his Son. All that the Son has, he gives to us through his Spirit. Why? So that we may know God. This is our primary endeavor of why we're here, to know God. So when we think of of God, right, let's try to bring this all together. When we think of God, know that we have a God who is for us because he fathers us. This is true, right? Some of you, right, it's hard to believe this because there's a lot that you have to overcome, maybe because your past, maybe because your own dad. And you come in and you hear about God as a loving father, you have no context example for that. Your dad got it wrong. And so there's a lot more for you to overcome to receive that kind of love because you just don't believe in it. But know today that you have a God who is for you because he's your father. We also have a God who is with us because he came to us. Jesus sent to this world to live like we have lived so that he fully understands us. He's fully God but also fully human. Face temptation, unfortunately persevered, conquered death so that we could have hope. He came all the way to us to live with us. We also have a God who is within us so that we may have access to his power, right? We don't have any power on our own, and we're so out of tune oftentimes with the power that lives within us, but we have a God who resides in our hearts. We have access to his power through the Holy Spirit. Now, hopefully, I know this is, right, this is a a lot, right, to process, it's dense, and uh, in the big picture, it's a mystery. So we have to step back and think, how much do I really want to know about God? instinctively, right, maybe that's why you come to church, why you're in Bible study, I want to learn about God, because if I gain enough information of the evidence of God, okay, then I'm going to be good with the religion of Christianity. And if we have that mindset, we're at risk of missing the main point. Think about this. If your aim is to fully understand God and his ways, would he really be God? Yes, you might feel better about in your conscience, like, okay, I've got it all figured out, but then we're at risk of creating our own God. We will all reach a point in our pursuit of God and knowledge about him where ultimately we have to decide whether or not we're going to trust him even though we don't have all of the answers. Again, we want a God who sits outside of space and time, who goes before us, who knows better than we do, that we cannot comprehend. I hope that's what we're desperate for. So I hope that you know more about God, but know that the primary aim is to know God himself. I mean, this is, you know, ever since Bible college, especially, you know, I've been a, a huge reader. I love gaining new insights and sharing them with you all, learning more about God. But I always have to guard against that because I get excited about that, and that plays a part, right, in, in, in getting closer to God. But if I limit it to knowledge alone, I'm missing out on the personal pursuit of God Himself that He will always deem to be primary. So don't miss, right, what our primary aim is today. It's not to know, just know more about God, it's to know him. So do you know him as your father? Do you know him as your savior? Do you know him as your guide, as your helper? He's all of those things at the same time. And here I am trying my best to explain it. And you can't explain the great mystery and the great beauty of the Trinity. But he is all of those things at the same time. What a gift. What a gift that we have, a God that we can't comprehend that comes all the way to us. And he says, I love you and invite you into a relationship with me. So today we celebrate the fact that we have a personal God, right? <laughs> that we have one that wants to be in relationship with us. He loved us before our existence. He walks with us. He promises hope for tomorrow. And so now, right, the, the response to a message like this begins literally in the way that we live, Following the message. And so the question I have for you is Will will your life reflect your gratitude? Will our lives reflect proper gratitude for this entire conversation? You see, because we have a God who loves us, because we have a personal God, we literally have the ability to grieve his heart. Another person asks, What does that mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? That's another verse that we see in, in, in the Bible. And so I want to close this message in a different way than I would normally close a message because I'm just going to read Scripture and just kind of leave it out there because whether or not we properly understand this message is dependent on how we respond. So this is a pretty dense, complex conversation about the doctrine of the Trinity. But what I love about this conversation, and I alluded to this earlier, is our response to our proper or even improper understanding of that is dependent on what our lives actually look like. If we live the right way, then we're communicating back to God that I understand enough what it looks like to be in tune with you and your ways. Here's what I mean. We understand that we have the ability to grieve the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. It says, don't grieve God. Don't break his heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Here it is. Don't take such a gift for granted. The measurement I mean, the practicality of this, right, after that you know, theological conversation, the measurement of our true knowledge of God will primarily be reflected in obedience and love, and we can all do that. <laughs> this is an intimidating conversation, but we can all live a proper response to this conversation. Here's what I mean. The verses surrounding, verse 30, what I just read, says this, verse 29, watch the way you talk. I can do that. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Verses 31, 32, make a clean break with all cutting, right? The desire to cut somebody down. Make a clean break with all backbiting, profane talk. Here's a proactive picture of how we should be living our lives. Be gentle with one another, sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. If my life looks like that, then that's a proper response to an understanding of who God is. We can all do that. It's hard, isn't it? We go off the rails. Again, I come back to, can someone who's mean every moment of their life actually know God? Practically speaking, it doesn't seem like they can. There's a pretty obvious disconnect. Because if I know God, if I love God, out of the overflow of that love, my heart has been transformed, and I desire to be a better person. Now, forgiveness piece is a significant one, and that's the topic for next week. Um, yeah, I felt just the weight when I was reading through all of your responses, the number of people that had questions about forgiveness. How can I know that God has actually forgiven me? How can I forgive someone, even after all these years later, who's done something horrible to me? How long should I go still expecting forgiveness from another? Right? And so I just sensed the weight of our church family, so many of you. So we're navigating the area of forgiveness next week. Romans 8.14, we'll close with this. Those who are led, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So are our lives our own? We instinctively are selfish. We talked about the last couple of weeks. And we will have the natural desire to lead our own lives. And so my prayer is for all of us to realize as quickly as possible how that is not possible. And that is not life-giving. And that is not God-honoring. Right? This is the discipline of surrender, of saying, God, I want you to lead my life. Because my primary aim, my primary joy is to be known as a child of a loving father. May we have it no other way. Let's pray. God, as we consider just how overwhelming it is to kind of comprehend your nature and your way and what this all looks like and how we piece it together, God, I pray that we will show up to you wanting more of you. That we will get excited about gaining new insight and knowledge, but ultimately we will seek your presence. We'll be grateful for you coming all the way to us to make that a possibility. We thank you for never giving up on us. Even in the midst of our questions and our doubts, you still pursue us. And God, here we are today as a church family saying we show up to you as well. We want more of you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.